0: This episode of Teeming with Microbes is brought to you by Bigfoot Microbes, number two organics made in partnership with Malibu Compost and down-to-earth all-natural fertilizers. Welcome, everyone, to the Teeming with Microbes podcast, our weekly deep dive into the rich and fertile world of the soil food web and organic gardening, We're breaking down all the science and handing out expert gardening advice while busting those long-held myths about how to help your garden grow. With the man who literally wrote the books on teeming with everything important in your soil, the lord of the roots himself, Jeff Lowenfels, and me, Jonathan White, the caffeinated gardener. From flowers to lawns to vegetables, heck, even your mind. Let's grow it all. All right, Jeff, we finally had that stretch of summer weather everybody's been waiting for. You think that's the end of summer? We're we uh, going to have any maybe? more? I don't know. I've really been trying this this year, uh, and for listeners that are outside the Anchorage area, we've had a cold and, and wet summer. But finally, this last weekend, uh, by the time this airs last weekend, was just glorious. Just glorious. Great time to be outside and do all kinds of things. And if you've done, you, you know, all the work with your soil food web and you've gotten your garden growing, you probably didn't have to do much this weekend.
1: Yeah. So I sat around uh, this weekend in my short sleeves and uh, just tried to get a lot of sun. I didn't do very much work. I, mow- I did mow paths through the meadows and boy they're looking good. I don't have any dandelion blooms.
0: I've got only clover blooming. So it really looks good. Man, the king of Segway, the king of Segway. Hey, yeah. one thing you you and I are both big fans of is cover crops. Right. And I grow a lot of cover crops all summer long, both in my greenhouse and outside. And some of my cover crops mostly clover, uh, grows in my meadow also, which is, you know, an added benefit, right. but there's a lot of questions about what these cover crops can do. And maybe even some of the drawbacks of, of growing them, um, in your vegetable or your flower garden. Right. So from a flower garden standpoint, it can be unsightly, right. You're not going to want to have a nice row of, <sighs> of, you know, beautiful hydrangea with, you know, clover or something poking up that looks like weeds. It, it
1: can be unsightly, but you might want to you might want to try to plant some vegetables like snap peas or beans within within the the flower garden. They can still look good. They flower and sweet peas could certainly fit in the flower garden. But you're right. I mean, it's you know, you, we use different different cover crops for different purposes. And, and I think maybe we gave the impression when we first started the show that these cover crops are really to provide nitrogen for the soil. And that's that's one kind of cover crop, and they do provide nitrogen for the following season, not for this season. And I think that's important for people to understand. There's some leakage, these rhizobia bacteria, they're attracted by the plant. The plant says, come on over here, Let's. I'll give you a place to live. And they form these little nodules, and they make their, their nitrogen, or they fix their nitrogen from the atmosphere in those nodules, and that goes directly into the plant. But a little bit of it... Can leak out into the
0: soil, and that's you're getting too ahead. Let's let's break this okay. down. Let's put on our scientist hats. Okay, so let's. Uh, let, I'll just take. We'll use my garden as an example. I've sure. got um, onions growing, right. and in among the onions and the garlic, I've got uh, white clover growing. Right. That I that I spread those seeds in the spring. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and the idea is for me the benefit there's a couple of benefits. One, it, it keeps that soil from, from drying out right. as quickly, although it can compete with the other stuff for moisture when it's dry, which we haven't had really had that problem yet this yeah. summer. <laughs> but that clover is taking nitrogen from the air, right? storing it, and and we'll get to the part two in a minute. But the idea is that the benefits of having that clover now are not yet the nitrogen fixing that comes later well right? actually actually for the
1: rest of the plants but for that plant in particular it fixes nitrogen or the rhizobia bacteria fix nitrogen inside that plant and that plant gets to use that nitrogen this season right that so, point, right yeah yeah and and in fact the plant does a lot of work to order in order to be able to support those bacteria to call them to help them form the nodule Uh, And then to help them subsist so that they will continue to fix nitrogen. So the plant itself gets benefit. But the rest of the area, you know, does the onions in your garden are not getting the benefit of the nitrogen. They're getting other benefit. Their, their, Their soil is being broken up. So tight soils get broken up improved drainage in some instances. You're right, there can be some competition, but not this year. Um and you can even attract beneficial insects, which is another reason why you would plant a cover crop and get a benefit this year rather than waiting for the nitrogen next year.
0: I think it you know even when it's warmer, you know we get into mm-hmm. the high or the mid 70s and that top layer of the soil kind of might dry out and it might look like it needs to be watered. When you've got all that cover crop, you kind of get down, put your finger in down an inch or two, and it's still that really helps keep it shaded, really h- helps keep that soil from drying out and getting too crispy.
1: Right. And of course, that's always the hallmark of soil food web gardening. Using the soil food web makes it easier for you to garden less work. So you don't have to be out there watering all the time if you've got a cover crop. And you can use these cover crops, by the way, in pots. I grow almost everything these days in pots. And I've got carrots in, in some of the pots acting as a cover crop, breaking up the soil. I've got, uh, I've got uh, all manner of clover, which is really terrific. I'm growing some cover crops so that I can eat them. They're, they're not being used to develop nitrogen for the soil, but in this particular instance, I'm growing fava beans or fave beans. F A F E. I always said fava, but I guess it's F A F E fave. I don't know. But anyway, uh, I I stuck some in because I I picked some up uh, at a convention someplace. They're they're terrific. Nitrogen fixers, and they're supposed to be massive. And so when they die in the fall, they put in all of that great organic matter and the nitrogen back into the soil as it decays over the fall and winter and spring months. Holy crow, these are big plants. And do they ever grow fast? I mean, we're, we're familiar with cabbages and pumpkins up here giant cabbages and giant pumpkins. A giant pumpkin can put on 40 pounds. A night. Well, these guys, they I mean they almost grow right in front of your eyes. They're just incredible. Uh so I'm waiting for the beans. They're just beginning to flower. The beans can get to be a foot long. That's going to be really something. And and it's not often that there's something I have never grown before. This is this is one of them.
0: So that's interesting. What so you're really just growing two things? Right. One isn't really a cover crop, it's just a, a different crop, right? Right, right, uh, right, right. So so this so the idea is that this year. If you have a cover crop going, by the way, it's not entirely too late. You can still get some clover right. or some other things oh, to yeah. get going this year. Right. That. that now, what about? Uh, we get a lot of questions. Uh, people come over to my yard and look around and say, "Oh, what's you don't weed? What's going on with your your onion and your <laughs> so oh, that's a that's a cover crop." And a friend of mine asked me last week, "Well, doesn't that compete with what you're trying to grow for nutrients?" So that clover is there's thousands of little clover plants among dozens of onion and and garlic plants the plants this year and we're going to get to the what happens next year but right. this year those things can compete right i mean those that yes. clover needs some of the same microbial food and activity that the onions and the garlic need
1: it, yes it does uh but fortunately the the number one thing you want is nitrogen to feed your plants and it's feeding itself nitrogen so it doesn't have to take nitrogen out of the soil and deprive other plants from that nitrogen so that's 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 key the other thing is that in theory as a soil food web gardener you've got so much life in your soil that you can afford to have that competition there's still plenty there for your plants and we we haven't even started to talk in this in this podcast about how plants Take in these nutrients and how they use them. We'll do that in the winter time. Probably a much, much better time to do it. But uh, there's there are, in your garden. There's plenty of nutrients for the plants. Yeah. If you end up with yellowing leaves, if you end up with uh, excessive amounts of diseases, if you end up with uh, tremendous infestations of insects, then you got to think about whether you're robbing your main crop. By using the cover crops. And if you are, then you just go out and you apply uh, a good mulch, some good compost, some vermicompost, some down-to-earth product, uh, you know, uh, you can take care of the problem, uh, but you got to keep looking at stuff and make sure you're paying attention. So even though you're not working
0: as hard because the soil food web, you still have to use your eyes. Even though I've mentioned this in earlier podcasts, even in my greenhouse, in my pots, I, I, that soil I use year after year after year and at the end of the year I allow that cover crop I'll cut back the tomato plant leave the roots right there in the in the pot and I'll mm-hmm. leave I'll let the clover just do what it does I stop watering it eventually it'll die right it turns into like dry grass and I just fold it right back on top put some compost on it and plant right around it. So sure. that is part two of this that's when these nitrogen fixers are returning. All the nitrogen they've stored back into the soil food web to be made available for next year and for next year's planting, but really for the all the little critters and guys we like to team with that are down in the soil.
1: Right, absolutely the way to go, and you can also take your tomato plant itself. I mean, you're really only taking the tomatoes; you don't care about the leaves. Right. So when you when you cut that down at the at the soil level, leave the roots alone. I think that's the way to go because it has all those exudates; it's got all the bacteria and fungi that it's attracted, and it acts as a, a a system whereby the new roots can go in and they follow the old old, old root tracks. But but if you cut up the tomato plant itself, the goodies that are in that tomato plant also go into the soil. So in a sense, the law of return, if you follow it, means that all of the things you plant are cover crops.
0: Right. <laughs> Pretty much. They, yeah. They <laughs> They're end all up... gonna fall and return what they've what they've grown. Right. Right, exactly. Well, exactly. you know, we get questions every week to mm-hmm. our uh teaming with microbes at me.com email Very good nailed it nailed yeah. it yeah so folks if you have any questions go there and ask us at at me.com. and invariably this time of year the dandelions have have are in between the two flushes or maybe we won't get a huge second flush this year but uh the clover questions come up so clover uh, as 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 well as being really good for Your vegetables, your gardens, whatever, um, as a as a a cover crop can be really beneficial to your lawn also. And Sherry Eckrich from Eagle River, Alaska, asked that very question that, you know, should she avoid pulling that clover um, in the lawn or in your meadow?
1: Yeah, you know, and of course it's a personal choice. I I would say no because it's fixing nitrogen and uh, it looks good. It stays green in droughts if we <laughs> ever have a drought again here in Alaska, uh, and and it flowers, which is a, an awfully nice thing people are still uh, of the mindset that weeds and lawns are, n- are not a good thing and that clover is a weed. Now, we've talked before the 1950s advent of color television and people saw golf courses for the first time. Uh, clover was an integral part of everybody's lawns because it fixes nitrogen. And that's what lawns need. The grass needs nitrogen, And and now clover, of course, is, is out because when you – when you want to kill a dandelion, you you use a broadleaf killer, and that also kills the clover. And so they got rid of the clover in the mix. If you don't want to have so much clover, there's two things you can do. The first is you can use a thatching rake and you can thatch it out. Uh, thatching rakes are really an incredible tool. They, they really, really can get down there and pull the roots. And the way clover works is, is that it's much easier to pull out than individual grass plants. Uh, the other thing you can do is put your lawnmower bag on and mow the flowers and bag the flowers up. Put them in the compost pile when you're finished. But but if you bag them up instead of letting them just go natural in, into the lawn, uh, then, then you won't get so much spread of the clover because those seeds are what really cause it to spread.
0: So, yeah. I leave it. I love it. I love the I clover too. mixture. It makes it a true meadow.
1: Well, what color do you have? That's the other thing. There is, there is a white clover, which is what most people have. I've introduced a little, a purple clover, which is really pretty. Uh, there's that red annual clover, which is fabulous. And just this spring, uh, a company sent me a five-pound bag of what's known as, or they're calling miniature clover Hmm. this is the cutest little stuff you ever saw it's just this teeny teeny little clover i it's uh, because this is the first year i don't know whether it flowers uh so i'm going to wait and and see uh but i'm i'm pretty impressed with it and in fact i've put some of it in the pathways in the meadow Hmm. very low growing incredibly low growing it only gets about (laughs) a tenth of an inch off the ground, uh, and so far I'm able to walk on it, and, st- and it looks pretty good. So, so yeah, clover has got some interesting applications. One of my favorite pictures uh, uh, this year was uh, somebody sent me a picture of their lawn in red annual clover. Oh, my God. It was absolutely Gorgeous.
0: I have a little bit of both. Predominantly the white clover, but a little bit yeah. of red clover in the front too. That seems to like a little shade from time to time, too. You getting any bees? Tons of bees.
1: Yeah. Love it. Someone
0: someone in your neighborhood is keeping bees. Love it. Yeah. yeah. I love seeing all our pollinators. Right. So that's our don't forget, folks, if you have a question, send us all your questions, whether it's about clover, meadows, mycorrhizal fungi, anything you want to ask it. Teaming right. with microbes at me.com. You can
1: even ask Jonathan what kind of coffee he likes. There you go. Ask
0: anything. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will talk about my favorite tree in my yard. Lilacs. Bigfoot. Mycorrhizae is a complete microbial powerhouse that takes all the guesswork out of using beneficial fungi for your grows. It's like a soil food web in a bag packed with beneficial bacteria, kelp, humic acid, biochar, worm castings, and micronutrients. It's going to boost the flavor and size of your veggies, and it's the only mycorrhizae product to earn Jeff's coveted Teeming with Microbes seal of approval. You can find Bigfoot in Anchorage at Alaska Mill and Feed or nationwide through Amazon or our website, BigfootMyco.com. That's BigfootMYCO.com. Hola, gardeners. Is it time to break up with your soil? Is it treating your garden right? Or is it just the same old faux organic or conventional ag byproduct nonsense? Maybe it's time to switch to something real, something you can count on. Well, say hello to Number 2 Organics. Farm-made organic compost, real organic topsoil, and premium organic potting soil. No games, no gimmicks. Ask your local nursery buyer to bring us in today. Or get us online at number 2 Jeff, we should clean something up from the previous segment um, Uh-oh. about chickweed. Chickweed obviously is you know fast grower. That's not a nitrogen fixer that's a nitrogen accumulator right so you can this year if you have a lot of chickweed which i do love pulling that stuff by the way very therapeutic yes and shred that up and use it as a as a green mulch right almost like grass clippings or something and it'll it'll give back any nitrogen that it's accumulated
1: right and it's really good in compost and in vermicompost um, why a worm would want to eat it. I don't know, but uh, it, it puts all that nitrogen into the compost itself. And that's, that's really the best way to accumulate nutrients for the soil food web, put stuff in your compost pile uh, and then use that compost uh, or your vermicompost uh, on the gardens itself. Yeah, But you're right.
0: It's an accumulator. So don't forget folks, anywhere you get your podcasts and you can find it teeming with microbes, go there, give us a rating, give us a like, spread the word help get uh, more folks interested in organic gardening and teaming with microbes. Mm -hmm. So a long time ago, maybe 10 years ago, put in a new uh, perennial garden right outside our back windows uh, just off the deck. And I made what I think was one of the best decisions I've ever made. I planted a small lilac tree within two to three feet of one of our kitchen windows. Mm -hmm. So on a nice warm July morning, we can open that window, and the kitchen just is full of that beautiful lilac smell.
1: Mm, And this year, it has been spectacular. Oh, man.
0: It was great. Despite the weather, uh, we have two. This one here next to the house is just crushing it. Lots and lots and lots of blooms, but it's starting to to fade a little bit. Sure. What color blooms? Purple and pink. Deep purple or... That kind of light, that kind of yeah. lightish purple that, yeah. Yeah. but I do I, I, love those deep, yeah. deep purples.
1: You don't know this about me, but my grandfather hybridized lilacs as a hobby. What? Yeah. And he developed one, which he named after his daughter, Emily, and the Emily lilac had the deepest, darkest purple I have ever seen. We, we had one of the plants at our property growing up, and when I came to Alaska like an idiot, I didn't dig up part of it and bring it up here. Oh, that would have been Oh, man. That so would if anybody been. out I there has an, that. That's good. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. If anybody has an Emily lilac,
0: let me know. Please let us know. Yeah. Well, now is the time. It do, seems counterintuitive, but now is the time with these lilacs to start planning for next year, right? Right. Yeah. Now is
1: when you want to clean up and prune lilacs. And the reason why you want to do that is because they will set buds for next year's flowers within about 4 to 6 weeks of finishing their bloom this year so next year's flowers are being formed now and if you if you prune them after those buds form you're not going to get flowers
0: and that's a problem so you got to plan
1: yes you have to plan and you have to you have to understand that these plants definitely need care if you're going to keep them looking good what a- now do you do you need to pull those flowers off that's the first myth you know people say you got to pull those flowers off or you won't get any 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 blooms next year that's called deadheading pulling those flowers off and you you don't have to do it you will still get flowers next year because the old ones will fall off and you'll still get you'll still get flowers next year the reason you deadhead is because it's sort of messy looking. The plant looks like a mess if you don't pull off the flowers. So you've got a choice. You can pull the flowers off or you can leave them there. By the way, if you pull them off, throw them down underneath the plant So Yeah, let better. them
0: go down, right, yeah. return. Right, right, exactly, exactly. So there's a lot of wild lilacs you see that transplant, volunteer, you know, from other trees, they, they don't, just like, you know, in, in nature, they're not going to need trimming or pruning. But if you want that real manicured look, that real landscape look. Right. Now's the time to get out there once they're dead, once they're gone, clean it up, get get ready for next year.
1: Yeah, I'll give you a perfect example. So I, we bought this house and the previous owner of the house thought that he wanted to have sort of a Versailles garden look. And he trimmed the lilacs so that they were skinny at the bottom and thicker up at the top. Hmm. Well, I drove up the driveway the first day. I owned the house, you know, and I go, whoa, man, that really looks great. That is really good looking. And then they bloomed, and it really looked terrific. And then winter came. (laughs) And when winter came, we got a lot of snow. And of course, what does snow do when you've got a top-heavy bush? It pushes that top-heavy part down into the... And so I had broken lilac limbs all over the place. So I now know that I'm going to have to prune the lilacs uh, carefully so that they have the right shape to be able to handle the snow and look good. And that means sometimes not just deadheading the flowers, but actually taking out limbs And now's the time you want to do that again because uh, you're working on the plant uh, and and you want to clean it up and make the whole thing look good so that when it does bloom next year, you've got a good looking bush.
0: Asking for a friend, someone who has to dig up their perennial garden Mm -hmm. to make room for fixing their basement exterior wall. I think you know who I'm talking about. What if you have to transplant a lilac?
1: Yeah, you can, you can transplant a lilac, but it's important to get as much of the root system as possible. Now, if you look around the base of your lilac plant, you will probably see little starts, seedlings. Lilacs are notorious self-seeders. And so you might want to think about, well, do I really want to transplant this or do I want to just start some new ones using these these little, little seeds? Uh, by the way, there's a word for... What's going on right now? It's called pre-formation. These plants are pre-forming their bud systems for next year, so that they will be there next year and they can and they can flower. And it's a, it's a survival strategy. Uh, we've got a short season, and we've got we've got to we've got to make sure that we're using every bit of it the right way. We meaning plants, and so uh, they're they preform their buds this year. And there are lots of other things that do that. Right. So we've already talked about the spruce trees. We've got tremendous number of spruce cones this year. And people were writing me and asking me, well, what's the story on that? This is incredible. And I explained to them those cones were set last year. Uh, so they pre-formed their cones last year. Uh, lilacs do it again. Rhododendrons—you can grow rhododendrons up here. Mountain ashes, blueberries, cottonwood. Uh, our friend the cottonwood, which is still still throwing out cotton all over the place. Alders. There's a bunch of plants that set blooms now, uh, and or set buds now and bloom next
0: year. A, a little bit different. Raspberries don't set the a bloom but they send up next year's canes so that's another right. mistake a lot of folks make is they'll go through and trim at the end of the year uh they'll try to make their you know their raspberry uh, area look neat and tidy for the winter and they inadvertently cut down next year's canes when right. those are the those are the ones that are going to produce raspberries
1: yeah and that's pre-formation uh, of its own i guess i mean it's really they're biennials uh and you can tell last year's canes from this year's canes cuz last year's canes first of all are, are dead. dead. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, those and should stay, be gone. Those should be gone and and uh, you'll you'll notice the new canes coming up for next year. So they will not have the the fruit on it. But uh mm-hmm. I, mine have not done very well this year. I got to say I for some reason the winter was not kind to our raspberry our established raspberry patch. But we've got a second area where there's a lot of wild raspberries established themselves and they're doing phenomenal so i'm wondering uh, uh whether a raspberry patch needs to be rejuvenated every 15 or 20 years because um boy something just happened to ours
0: like like nothing so time for another anyway, an- yeah. that's for another segment yes it is another yes. show topic all right let's take one more break when we come back we got some more questions and getting ready for the inevitable we'll be right back Down to Earth All Natural Fertilizers has been a partner of organic gardeners for more than 40 years. With a full range of OMRI-listed and organic-approved products featuring a wide variety of premium organic blends and a diverse selection of single-ingredient inputs, Down to Earth is dedicated to using the highest quality natural ingredients available, including marine proteins, natural minerals, and biological soil additives. Down-to-earth all-natural fertilizers can be found nationwide in independent home and garden centers. So you should ask your retailer for down-to-earth products. Look for that compostable box or find us at downtoearthfertilizer.com. Teaming with microbes at me.com. That's the address, Jeff. If anybody has any questions for this podcast, that's where they would go to ask them, right? Right. Or even comments.
1: Uh, we're getting quite a few comments from people who don't have a question, but they just want to tell us they're listening. Uh, they like it or they don't like something, you know, and so that's yeah. we we need the feedback. And this is a, a young podcast and we're going to be doing lots of things. We're eventually going to have a website, and swag and all sorts swag.
0: of stuff. So, swag, swag. Yeah, um, and At. Jeff's yellow Jello will be on that swag list.
1: Right, right, and we're, we're 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 working right now to register it with the FDA so
0: that you can get <laughs> your your benefits out. of it. it you safe know. for humans, but not for Athens. <laughs> well, or one, of things, or one of the things, Ribs, right. One of the things we want you to do in your questions is make sure you give us a phonetic. Give me the phoneticization of your name, uh, and tell us where you're from and whatnot. So, one of the questions we got uh, last week was from Molly Stuojia. Mm-hmm. um pretty common question i get i think you get a lot too which is the shelf life of microbe food also right. known as fertilizers and when we had dr mike on the show several weeks ago about about mycorrhizal fungi he cleared up to the shelf life on that yeah well he actually
1: i and i talked with uh his his uh, uh son zach who's also in the business uh and and uh you know, t- two to five years, really. You, you it doesn't lose all of its viability instantly. So after two years, it just begins to diminish. Still usable. Uh, it will still form mycorrhiza. Uh, so so you can still use that. But but the other stuff, the other stuff usually has a labeling warning if the stuff is going to go bad. And so you want to make sure you read the label. You should read the labels anyway. Uh, One of the things about organic fertilizers or organic foods is that the labels are readable. I don't know if you've gotten uh, taken a look and you should just for fun. uh, Go go to one of the box stores and take a look at one of the chemical fertilizers. On many of them, you have to literally bring a razor blade to slit the to slit the the you know the label so that you can pull it out and read this incredibly fine print about all the stuff that's in it, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And you look for that. You know, when is it no good? This is a question that people ask with regard to compost. Does compost have a shelf life? And it turns out it does have a shelf life. Um, it's always going to be good. It's always going to be soil, uh, but it but but it tends to have a a, a much higher uh, life factor in it much more much higher populations of microbes etc uh when it's when it's uh just about a year old or so
0: do you mean my compost in a big pile that you're making or compost that no you compost in the, bag, in the bag. on the got it yeah
1: no no in the bag something you might go to the store and buy um so you want to look at the bags for example you want to make sure that they have air holes in it a lot of the compost you buy comes in bags without any aeration Well, how do the microbes? The microbes are in there. They're alive. They're breathing and they're using up all the oxygen. So you want to make sure that when you buy the stuff, you read these labels carefully. You take a look at the bag. Is it something that's going to be able to be opened easily and closed again? Does it have perforations in it that's air? Does it have an expiration date? Does it have a date when it was packed? These are things that are important to know. And if you can't find an expiration date, you can always contact the manufacturer and they'll let
0: you know. Interesting.
1: All right. Yeah. Well, uh, you, you know, again, you want to be careful, but but that's one of the advantages of making your own compost. If you've got a living pile, uh, you know, and you're turning it all the time and adding to it all the time, you've got good active compost that's going to be good. Now, a lot of people like compost that's mature, so they may set some of it aside. Um But basically, you can use it right out of the compost
0: pile. Right out. Get it going. You got to use it. No point in making it and storing it if you're not going to use it.
1: You know, that's an interesting point because a lot of people, same thing as we've talked with vegetables, you know, they don't want to take something out of their garden because look at I got, you know, their guests come over and they want to make sure they see the cabbages and the kale and all that. Stuff. Same thing with a compost pile. Look at my compost pile. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to have the compost pile half the size of what it, what it was. You want to show people your steaming, heated compost.
0: <laughs> Careful, use it. family show, family show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, use it, use it, folks, use it. Back to uh, cover crops. Another question that we've got that we've gotten over the last couple of, of weeks when we've talked about cover crops, James Phillips from Petaluma, California. Mm-hmm. It's a great question. When he plants his cover crop at the end of the summer with turnips and and radishes, should you pull those out when you're finished or just cut the plants at ground level and let everything stay in the ground?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting, that's an interesting uh question. Uh, I think I in this week's column I mentioned the story of my friend who got the contract to uh refurbish the landscape around the St. Louis Arch. I don't know if you've ever been to the St. Louis Arch, but it's a you know, it looks like a, a half of a coat hanger sticking, you know, a couple hundred feet up into the ground. And and around the coat hanger uh is uh, Beautiful plants and shrubs and gardens and pathways, etc. And it had all gone to junk. Uh, and so they hired this guy to come and and do do the redo. And uh he he was a soil food web gardener, and uh he he in the fall he put in giant radishes. Have you ever seen a giant radish? I have not. A, a giant radish Rachel, have you
0: ever seen a giant radish?
1: <laughs> no. They're unbelievable. They can be as long as your arm. Uh they are incredible. They look like carrots, but they're they're just gigantic. And and he planted probably a couple of thousand of them. Wow. And the people of St. Louis went nuts. What are these things doing in here? They, they couldn't believe these. Ugly radishes planted all over the place, you know, a little bit of the radish sticking up. And in the spring, he pulled them all up and got rid of them because in that particular instance, you would. If you've got a fallow field, leave it in there. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's again, like, like other cover crops, it's breaking up the soil. Uh, it's, it's making good soil food web activity in the soil and then it'll, it'll rot uh, and, and, or, or decay, I guess that's the better word and, and put that good stuff in the boil. So the answer to the question is it depends on what you're going to do with the garden, uh, in, in the spring, but during the winter months when nothing else is going on, although in California, I suppose you could be planting <laughs> during the winter months, wish we had that wonderful opportunity, um, uh, during the winter months, you should probably leave them in there and let them do their thing. Cause that's, leave it there. Yeah. that's what these particular ones, he's trying to break up soil and, loosen up stuff and that's that only works
0: if you leave them in the ground yeah so folks you have questions for us teaming with microbes at me.com send them our way so jeff i before we wrap up here i you know i can feel it it's the peak of summer but you know Mm -hmm. my vegetable garden is already starting to look a little less full because we're eating it all right we're eating a lot of the lettuces and a little bit too late now to start some of the stuff and we've talked about it. A couple of times already today, but I want to stress how important it is. A lot of folks that will either look at my garden or listen to the podcast and have questions about, let's say you harvest something and there's rotten leaves or there's things that you're not going to bring inside and eat, or you have flowers that you're deadheading. What would you say is the best use of those, the compost pile or putting it right back on the bed?
1: That's a tough question. If it's rotting, I would say compost pile but it, but you know when i mean rotting if it's got some kind of a problem slimy uh but if it's if it's just finished i'd put it right down there on the soil right. you know it's it's got it's got in theory the bacteria uh that that the plant needs in it and uh those bacteria will go back into the soil same thing with fungi in it uh they'll go back into the soil as as they go but uh if it's if it's got a problem, if it's got a powdery mildew, something of that sort on it, and you're pulling the leaves off because they're, you know, they've got lots of holes in them and things like, that, yeah, put it in the compost pile.
0: Yeah, and I, I would say the same. I you just use your judgment, but at the end of the day, they're both both options are going to benefit your garden one way or another. If it's you know you don't want us, the unsightliness of it all sitting around on top of your soil, we shouldn't have bare soil anyway in our right. gardens, flower or right. vegetable or otherwise. But it's not going to hurt anything. It's, it's a great, it, both are good answers, I guess, right? Is that yeah, a, both, you make both compost are good with answers. it?
1: Great. Yeah, yeah but the, but again, the soil food web rule is no bare soils. Right. So even if you pick them up and put them in your compost pile, then you should go back with some of your compost and put it down around the plant, just so that you can continue to know that you're sort of living with the law of return. You took the stuff out, but you're returning something else, and and you've mulched your garden. Right. All and gardens should
0: be mulched and harvested. If you've planted, yes, uh, if you've planted vegetables and they're going to seed, give them away. Yeah, you know, we haven't talked about that.
1: Uh, One of the programs that we started here in Alaska was Plant a Row for Beans. Beans is a cafe for, for people who don't have enough food and homeless people. And so we started a program where we got everybody in Anchorage that we could to plant one row in their garden and then to take that food down to Beans Cafe. Well, that morphed into a national and now an international program called Plant a Row for the Hungry. If you've got excess zucchini that you don't want, take it to somebody who needs it. We live in a country that we think is rich and prosperous. There are so many people who go to bed hungry at night who could use your zucchini. Take it to a soup kitchen, take it to a food bank, give it to a neighbor, find a church or synagogue or some kind of a place of religious worship. Your food should not be left in the garden to rot. That's not what good gardeners do.
0: Well said. Well said. Well, I've got some vegetables to harvest today and now some lilacs to trim. Me too. <laughs> You've given me some given me some chores for the week. Yeah, but at least it's sunny and we can go outside oh, and we get yeah. wet.
1: Oh, God. It's so nice. So nice. And we apologize to people who are living in these hot, hot areas of the country or of the world, for that matter. Uh, uh, we're sitting around six. 66 to to 70 70 degrees degrees. couldn't be better. But just remember, most of the time, it's not
0: that good here. Could be worse. Could be worse. All right, Jeff. Well, we'll talk to you next week. Everyone, thanks for listening to this episode of Teeming with Microbes. Get out there and trim those lilacs.
1: Right. And put those cover crops in.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to this edition of Teeming with Microbes. Make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing this gardening season. Jeff and I wrote this episode with additional production and editing by Evan Phillips of Podpeak. You can find him at podpeak.com. Our music is also by Evan Phillips. Thanks, as always, to the Anchorage Daily News for hosting our show, and don't forget to catch Jeff's weekly gardening column in each Friday's edition. We'll be back next week with another edition of Teeming with Microbes. Until then, get out there, get your hands dirty, and get growing. As always, thanks for listening to Jeff and I on this podcast. We're brought to you by Bigfoot Microbes. Number two organics made in partnership with Malibu Compost and down-to-earth all-natural fertilizers.